We do this once a year in order to promote communication, to promote transparency, even vulnerability, uh, and also to hear from you and to learn from you about what you're seeing in the church that maybe we're not seeing or that we can shed some light on if, uh, if that's appropriate. We also do it in order to just lay a welcome mat out for input or questions all year round. Uh, so don't think of this as the one time a year to ask a question of the elders. Think of it in terms of really something we want to promote and encourage all year round. Um, our email addresses are on the website. Um, our elders are available most Sundays and around and, and, and fairly visible, so uh, use us. Uh, ask questions whenever you, whenever you have those questions. It also serves as a, a time for um, a bit of reminiscing, rem, reminiscing a bit uh, of the past year for maybe about certain holes or, or shortcomings, yes, but, but also reminiscing about God's blessings, um, little victories, neat things we've seen and uh, rejoiced in together. Uh, so let me just begin by some wonderful highlights that, uh, of course, if you've been here over the last year, won't be news to you at all, but just thinking about we're now fully funding uh, two missionaries in a land where the gospel is not known, um, two missionary families. That's just a neat thing. We didn't think, I don't know, when I first heard that possibility, I thought, yeah, right, we'll, we'll try for it. I'm sure we'll do something good, but uh, it seems a little, a little courageous, and, and of course, that's how our God works, and uh, it's neat to see. Um, you think of our Claris Conference, which uh, is always an encouragement to so many, both in our church and in the city and even the region of the Southwest. Um, VBS is similar to that with so many involved. Um, so neat to see what takes place and how God uses it and, and how people are blessed by it. Uh, we did a church plant in this last year. Christ Church is now, what, five weeks old. 78 adults and 67 kids were sent out from this church and have been meeting downtown where, where gospel preaching churches are few. Um, then there's the funding of all this. We continue to grow in giving. Um, we continue to grow in uh, a new budget over the last three or four or five years now. Um, continue to grow in our missions and church planting, giving. Um, the holes left by the departure of those who went to Christ Church. It, it's been neat to see those filled by people stepping up into those roles. Maybe they wouldn't have done that uh, if those holes hadn't been there. Terry Ash reached 20 years of pastoral ministry just at Desert Springs Church this year. Um, there's always the blessing of stability within the staff. Um, there's a lot of partnering in relationships with bonds there that, are, that run deep. Um, and of course, that probably reminds you of the fact that we did lose two of our pastors this year, but we lost them to church planting. We sent them, uh, and not sent them because we were sick of them, but we sent them to go and do good work. And, uh, and them leaving to plant Christ Church um, shows how sweet our ties are in our staff because we weren't used to that. We, it didn't feel natural um, or good in some ways. But we praise God that they, they did go and that they 
when for the reasons they, they did. And we also praise God for his answers to prayer in providing great replacements uh, on our staff. So if you're on our email newsletter, uh, our e-newsletter list, then yesterday you got an update about new staff additions. Tom Adams has been with us uh, for what, a couple of months now as our new youth minister, and he's doing great. Then Scott Minema, uh, he'll be coming to oversee counseling and community groups. And Josiah Bellflower has agreed to come as our next minister for local and global outreach. And both Scott and Josiah and their families are working on the selling of their homes right now and then getting here as soon as they can. That email newsletter that was sent out, if you're not on that list, you can sign up to get the email newsletter by going to the website and hitting subscribe at the top. Uh, it won't give you the last newsletter that was sent out, though, but we do have hard copies of that tonight at the Connection Center, just outside those doors. And that, that email newsletter had specific information about how we hire, what, what's our process or processes uh, for finding a candidate for a ministry position and hiring that, that person. So if you're interested in that, we had a couple questions come in about that. Uh, you can go and pick that, out, pick that up on your way out tonight. Um, or maybe read the email newsletter that you have in your inbox and haven't read yet. Uh, that's possible as well. Um, well, speaking of questions that you've sent in, though, we have many to try to answer tonight. We always get more questions than we could possibly answer in just a, a brief Wednesday night together. Uh, that's partly because we, we do some pulling of teeth to get questions to come in. We sit down with our community group leaders and literally force them to ask questions. Uh, the same with the staff and the same with the deacons. Um, and so we get a good bit of questions that come in. Uh, it's a good sign that it, it takes some work to get a good bunch of questions. Uh, but then we always find ourselves in the dilemma of having more questions than we have time to answer. And so just as in other years, we won't be able to answer everything that came in. And we want to answer those questions however we can in the future. So if your question that you wrote in doesn't get answered tonight, please don't read into that. Um, certain questions are more narrow in their scope or maybe relevance for the, the rest of the church. Uh, some questions get answered um, in our membership class or can be answered on our website. So things like that might get uh, in the pile that doesn't get answered tonight, but we still wanna answer them. So email one of the elders if you have a question that didn't get answered tonight. Uh, we'll have two halves to our evening together. It's in the first half, me asking um, our elders the, the questions that you've already written in. And then in the second half, Trent will grab a mic and walk around here on the floor and uh, take questions uh, from the floor. So I'll invite our elders to come up now and have a seat up here with me. And as they're coming up, I will read some updates to you from our two church planting pastors. And you might think I mean Nathan and Clint, who are both church planting pastors. But actually, um, I got updates today from our two church plants and their preaching pastors. So that would be uh, Carlos Griego, who about four years ago um, planted Redemption Church in Rio Rancho. And then Nathan, uh, who, of course, just about five weeks ago uh, planted with Clint Christ Church down in downtown Albuquerque. So here's an update, a paragraph or so from Nathan um, on Christ Church thus far. 
He says, it's hard to believe that our core phase is coming to an end with the public launch on November 6th. We've had a great first two months together as a young church, deepening our understanding and belief in the gospel, growing relationships and community with each other, and planning ways to most effectively join God in his mission to Albuquerque and beyond. In so many ways, we're grateful for the time that we've had together, solidifying who we are and why we're doing what we're doing, and quickly forming deep friendships and community. And yet at the same time, most of us have many unbelieving friends that we'd like to invite to church. Two of our community groups uh, are caring for orphans and widows. Two are making friends with foreigners. And two community groups are moving toward the materially poor. Con continue to pray for unity, love, and humility for our church and its leaders as new folks begin to join us. We're so thankful for you, Desert Springs Church, both in the people that you've sent and in your continued prayers for us as we begin this endeavor. We love you and thank God for you. And then here's an update from Carlos who planted Redemption he says, it's hard to believe that it's been just over four years since redemption was planted in Rio Rancho. There have been many ups and many downs, but the steadfast love of God has been evident throughout. I praise God for the leaders he's given us at Redemption Church. One story of praise involves our newest community group leader. He and his family came to redemption as unbelievers almost three years ago. Since then, they've been saved, baptized, and he now leads a community group. It's a testament to the faithfulness of God through his people at Redemption, but also through DSC that sent us to plant this gospel work in Rio Rancho. We've also formed a great relationship with the school, Ask Academy, where we currently meet. We've been able to serve the school, get to know the staff, and develop a friendship with many at the school. As we push forward toward our fifth anniversary in 2017, I ask you to pray for growth for Redemption that we'd be faithful to invite and welcome guests that visit us, that we would grow not just widely in numbers, though that is important, but that we grow deeply in knowledge and holiness as individuals and as a body. We're so thankful for the relationship and love we feel from DSC. It's hard to express all you mean to us in a short paragraph. So I'm gonna ask Ron Giese, if he would, to thank the Lord and pray for these two churches and also pray for our time tonight. Thanks, Ron. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these two reports from Redemption and Christ Church. God, we know that there would be, oh, another 40 or 50 people at least with us tonight, uh, but we rejoice so much that they're with a new church and a new work, and we miss them but are so happy for them, happy that you led them to go out from us. Father, we pray for the two things perhaps that Los mentioned for both of these churches. We pray for holiness for their members, and we pray second for a passion and for opportunity for them to share Jesus with neighbors and coworkers and relatives. Father, for tonight, we pray what uh, you told us to do by the hand of Paul in Colossians, Colossians <laughs> chapter 3 which is to set our mind on things above and not on the things that are on earth. Father, as we talk about things on earth, like facilities or programs or plans for the future, may we do so driven by having our mind set on things above. May we collectively tonight think about the gospel and about unity and about good communication and about accountability. These are all good and godly things that you've given us. And so, Father, we 
ask for wisdom. May Jesus be pleased by our conversation and discussion tonight as we talk about and brainstorm about stewarding the gifts that he has given us as a church. In his name we ask these things. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Ron. Well, before we get started with the questions, why don't we just do a quick uh, introduction of each guy. Trent, why don't you introduce yourself, tell us uh, how long you've been at Desert Springs, uh, tell us your wife's name and how many kids you got. Yeah, Trent Hunter, uh, pastor for administration and teaching, been here since 2010, August of 2010, so about six years. Married to Christy over here, we've got three kids, eight, seven, and five, Carson, Madeline, and Shay. How about you, Peter? I'm uh, Peter Ott, and I've been at uh, Desert Springs for uh, six years, almost seven. Married to uh, Annette, my uh, bride of 37 years. We have uh, three grown children, Philip, Lindsay, and uh, Brian. And we have uh, six grandkids, four of which are here, and uh, two of which are in Oklahoma City. And so it's a blessing to be the newest member of the uh, fellowship team here, and uh, kind of a real privilege. Thanks, Peter. I'm Ron Giese. Uh, I've been here almost 10 years. Uh, the, the executive pastor, which kind of just is another name for administrative pastor, meaning I'm over the facilities and budget, staff, and uh, many of the programs. Carla is my wife, and we've got three kids and three great grandkids. <clears throat> Not great grandkids. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> great, comma, grandkids. Great. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. It's like, man, you, you got it done. Uh, that was a busy trip. Yeah. <laughs> So Tim Bradley, I've uh, been on pastoral staff for a little more than 12 years doing biblical counseling and children and family ministries. This November, Marcy and I will have been part of the church even before it was called Desert Springs for 20 years. Uh, Lord's blessed us with four living children. Cade, my oldest, is operating the words on the screen. And then Marcy and the rest of my children are serving the children in the back this evening. Mm -hmm. So I have... Uh, Cade, my oldest daughter, Addison. The next son is Quinn, and my youngest son is Tatum. And I'm Ryan Kelly. I'm the preaching pastor here, and I've been here for over 13 years now. Um, my wife, Sarah, is down here in the front like she usually is. And, uh, and then my kids, Autumn, Caitlin, Jillian, and William are also somewhere in that giant front row. Um, so it's good to be with you guys tonight. All right, so let's get into some questions. We've got some topics and a few questions under each of those that we'll try to work through. And uh, we'll try to do as short, as answers, uh, short of answers as possible. And feel free during the time when Trent's on the floor uh, with the open mic um, to circle back around with one of these if, if uh, something comes to mind. All right, let's talk about adult discipleship first. Trent? Good question's been written here about why the equip class was closed down and will something similar be started in the future? Yeah. Um, so for a number of years, the elders have talked about a desire for more Bible in the bloodstream at DSC. So we've got a big accent on Sunday morning corporate worship. We follow up with that in community groups. And we cooked up this equip class about two and a half years ago, which if you're unfamiliar with it, was a class that was hosted during one of the hours in the side room uh, that worked in sets of two months through different topics or Bible books. 
we saw that as a segue into what we hoped would be a growing class and two classes and maybe a couple classes. So for, for a variety of reasons, including just an historic disinterest in the Sunday morning instruction, uh, we had as many as one person in the class on some Sundays and three in others. And lots of people were cheering it on and for it and would be in the class over time. There were times when we'd have 20 um, but visitors showing up to an advertised Bible study on Sunday morning with a person is, that doesn't really work. And it's a lot to ask of leaders and teachers. So our aim of more Bible in the bloodstream, in addition to that, forums to train people in teaching and give forums for teaching is still something we deeply desire here. We just haven't cracked the nut yet. So this last year we felt for a couple reasons that we needed to wind that thing down. Um, but we have some ideas for how to bundle a few instructional ministries on, uh, on Sunday and midweek come next year and play a little more to our strengths as a church. We show up for things, for certain kinds of things we've noticed and even as a leadership team, we're good at developing things that we can repeat and improve. So we're thinking like KCKC is on a loop. We're thinking of developing a few classes that are on a loop and that become famous around here if, if the Lord is kind and we put in enough work. Um, so look out for that in the, the days ahead. There are some things in the mix. We haven't given up on our aims, but a uh, particular way we get that done is going to change, and we're, we're actually happy to close things down when we think they're not meeting our, our goals, which is a good thing. Ron, uh, why don't you just rattle off some other adult discipleship opportunities that are available right now? Uh, well, part of what I'll say when I talk to people is, we sometimes think that discipleship is only one kind of venue or methodology. So sometimes people think, oh, it's classes, it's books that I'm reading. Another person might think, oh, it's mentorship. Discipleship is mentorship. So I got to get with somebody older than me and that's the, that's the way I get discipled. Uh, and really what we see in the New Testament is just a variety of forms. I mean, preaching Sunday morning would be the, maybe the main one in which we get discipled. Discipleship means being changed to be Christ-like uh, preaching is the main deal. Uh, we do Saturday seminars, getting back into doing those two or three times a year. I think in past years we might have done just one or two. Uh, Ryan, when he first came here, I wasn't here, but when I look over the notes from those years, you did, I don't know, sometimes three, four, five in a year. Six. Uh, six. Um, Claris is a way of getting discipled. Um, community groups are, of course, a way of getting discipled. So um, if you're thinking more means of Bible instruction, uh, right now there would be things like Saturday seminars, um, men's and women's groups that we need to certainly do more with men's groups uh, and other venues like conferences that we do. Okay, that's good. And of course, adult discipleship happens in community groups as well. Yeah, yeah that's a big part of it. Okay. Uh, so a question's been written in about corporate prayer that's really good and important, um, but we'll sort of preface it with a question of our own. I'll put this to Peter. Peter, how and where does prayer happen at Desert Springs? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think prayer is woven into the life of Desert Springs Church in a variety of different settings. Uh, I can think of one of the most important ways that we pray is through the, the DSC prayer line. Uh, because of the benefits of electronic technology, we can take a, a large group of people, you know, several hundred people that belong to DSC. Uh, their prayer needs can filter up to a prayer coordinator and then be distributed back out uh, to the church. And so we oftentimes, those who participate in the prayer line, uh, get emails. Uh, these are matters that are lifted up. Oftentimes it's a sickness or an illness 
Sometimes it's a prayer. Sometimes it's a prayer for a family member, for salvation, uh, for witness, for help in a variety of different ways. So it's a terrific ministry. Uh, Dan Moore is the point man for it. Uh, we're blessed to have uh, Dan running this ministry for several years, and I think it's one of the most important ways that we do pray. Uh, secondly, I think there's um, prayer is a very intimate part of our community group ministry. Uh, when our community groups get together, there are very meaningful times of prayer. Uh, that's where we experience the one another's of scripture, where we exalt one another, we pray for one another, we encourage one another, and uh, we do that by praying. Um, we lift each other up, uh, we minister to each other through prayer, and uh, it's a very important part of binding uh, community groups together. And so that's another, I think, important way that we pray as a group. And then I think when we meet corporately, whether it's staff meetings, elder meetings, deacon meetings, when we gather together for corporate worship on Sunday, we pray. So there's a variety of different ways that we do this. And I think we're always open to building more prayer into the life of our church. And we've had, I think, uh, some excellent suggestions that have come forward from uh, the congregation about building more intentional prayer into the Lord's Supper service. So that's something that we're looking at carefully. So I think that's some of the ways we pray. Okay. Yeah, good. All right. Um, well, we'll stick with Peter here on this one. Why do we do the Lord's Supper just once a month? Okay, um, that's a good question, and it's one that oftentimes comes up. Uh, many churches have different ways of celebrating the Lord's Supper and different schedules. Some churches might uh, celebrate Lord's Supper every time they meet, some on a weekly basis. Uh, we choose to uh, meet on a monthly basis on a, an occasion other than a Sunday morning corporate worship. First Corinthians 11 tells us as often as we do this, uh, and that's a phrase that means to us that this is something that each church can decide on their own. It's a matter of preference, and the tradition here at DSC has been to do this corporately once a month on a Wednesday night, fourth Wednesday of the month. And uh, what it does, it creates a very nice intimate fellowship setting where uh, even though the whole body doesn't come together, and it may not be quite as convenient for some to come on a Wednesday night, um, it creates a, an atmosphere and an intimacy. Uh, that's very important to the fellowship life of the church, I think. Because it's a little bit smaller group than the general congregation, I think there's a, a real enhancement of fellowship time, of worship time, and uh, we relate to each other in a very special way when we do that. Uh, so once a year, we uh, also celebrate the Lord's Supper in the Sunday morning service. We just did this recently, this month. And that's to let those folks know uh, that we do honor and celebrate the Lord's Supper on a regular basis, uh, and a special reminder to invite people to participate in our Wednesday service if they possibly can. So that's the, uh, the path and the tradition that we've chosen, and uh, recognizing that it's not always everybody's first preference. Yeah. Anyone have anything to add to that? The Lord's Supper question? Yeah, I'll add just a piece here. Um, the Bible isn't prescriptive on how often we should do this or the way in which we should do it. So that's just to keep in mind that for us to do it on a Wednesday, off Sunday, or for us to do it once a month isn't, being, uh, isn't departing from biblical principle. I was at a church that did it once every quarter on a very poorly attended Sunday night service. That's just, that's just backwards. Um, if we had very poor attendance and buy-in on a Wednesday, we may need to reconsider this, but it's been growing and growing and growing as a service. Second thing I'll say is, um, from a shepherding standpoint, fencing the table, we don't call it that on the Lord's Supper night, but we talk about who can and who can't partake. 
Uh, Lord's Supper has a function of proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns, so there's maybe a witness aspect to this. There's something to say for people looking in on it. But on a Sunday morning, it is a mixed, mixed crowd. And so maybe it's not the reason we do it on a Wednesday, but personally, I think there's an advantage to doing it off Sunday morning, given the way Sunday mornings at churches work in America, where there's just a lot, a lot of folks showing up who may be led to take the Lord's Supper for reasons that aren't appropriate and would be, uh, what exactly is the language in 1 Corinthians, Ryan? Do you remember? Don't partake unworthily. Unworthily, is there a, a kind of a warning there? Yeah. Okay. I don't wanna put words in 1 Corinthians' mouth. But it's a serious matter to take the Lord's Supper, it requires examination and we don't wanna lead people wrong there. So there's just higher risk of uh, there's, there's a higher measure of risk there on a Sunday morning. So that's not the main reason to do it on Wednesday. That's the reason it comes to my mind, though. Okay. Trent, why don't we stick with you on this one? How is DSC doing with friendliness nowadays? And uh, how are we aiming to be more warm yeah, and welcoming? So that's, yeah, that's a good question. We, uh, a, church, a church should, and I think everyone in our church, would sure want our church to be famous for being friendly. Some churches are famous for being friendly. And when you get too far inside, you realize the, it's not that friendly a place. Some churches are sort of hard to find out they're friendly. And when you, you stick, you find you've got some depth there of friendship. I had someone say a year ago, yeah, I was told that, you know, DSC might be a little hard to, to crack into. But once you're there, you'll meet some really, really incredible and wonderful people. And I found that to be true. That's what he said. I was blessed for that. Um, we have gotten the feedback over years that folks have bounced off the church, they had a bad experience, wasn't friendly, they weren't greeted. Um, I think some of that will happen in any church, you don't wanna be famous for that. Um, and so we've tried to take some measures to, we could say, stimulate friendliness, to help, how about this, help all of us do good together on what we actually want to do. So 600 people on a Sunday between two services, is not easy to coordinate friendliness with a visitor. When the person next to you or behind you, you have no idea as a visitor because there's too many to, to recognize and keep track of. So one way we've tried to stimulate this is through um, section hosts who are doing such a fine job. On Sunday, this room in both services split six ways with a person or a couple in each section. They're showing up 15 minutes early for odd months or for even months. They alternate and they'll show up 15 minutes early, pray, and then just hang out. Their job is to know the faces and the names of the people in their section uh, and the stories of their, their, their people in their section over time so that they can spot a visitor when there's a visitor. Just like you would want to if you were on your A game on a Sunday. We're just making sure we're doing this. One person per section, and then because they know the section a little bit over time, they can make an introduction real comfortably. Um, you know, we're growing in this, even that ministry is growing. A little pitch. We had 12 or so of our 24 section hosts launch out with the Christ Church. Every ministry experiences this. And we're still laboring to shore up our second service team. Both services work like this. Odd months and even months. So you're, you're sort of on for a month, off for a month. And you use the alternate month people for a sub. So it, it makes that easy. I would love to have so many people happy to be involved at some level that I had a three-month rotation. And... Uh, so please email me, hit the sending strong button and sign up. Uh, it's too easy to do and it's too important for us. So how are we doing at friendliness? 
As we've talked as elders, and of course our perspective is limited, we're not first-time visitors, but we do ask around and we do take feedback. We've heard a number of positive things about our church in the area of friendliness over the last year and a half that we hadn't heard in the year and a half or a few years before. So a commendation to you. Thank you for being more warm. Um, be a section host if you need a little help to even be more friendly. And pray for our church that way. Come early to meet people. Don't be walking in 10 minutes late. That's not contributing to friendliness. That's, that's making trouble for friendliness. Come early. Be hospitable. Be friendly. Get a name before you leave church on Sunday and a story if you can. That's good. Okay. Uh, let me see on our list here. Okay, so there's a question about application in sermons, which I will contribute to the answer to. Um, but I thought someone else should maybe start first. So, Tim, talk to us about our approach to application in Sunday morning sermons around here. Just riff. Yeah, okay. Uh, <clears throat> so, when the word is preached by design, it's to orient us to God for worship and to transform our lives. And so application is an important part of our being together, of our maturing in Christ together as a body. That said, in, specifically in our preaching, we're not necessarily focused on telling the body in preaching <coughs> every possibility or every way in which you could apply this. In other words, trusting the, the spirit to apply his word as it goes forth to land on particular persons. So I, I find that there's application really in every sermon and yet it may not come in the form of a bulleted list. Uh, if you recall uh, from recent sermon, Ryan began the sermon with recounting for us something John Piper had said about a particular psalm or passage of scripture that doesn't immediately seem to relate to you. And Piper had some great recommendations there and then Ryan even added his own. So I think there are a variety of ways in which application will come in a Sunday message or a Wednesday Lord's Supper message uh, and yet it's not always gonna look like an effect in RMO, probably most often not going to look like a long list of 10 things that you should go out and do. Yeah, and often put, in, in some churches, often put at the end of the sermon. Yep. It's always this turn at the end where, all right, now, you know, three points of application for you to take on your way out. Yeah, um, yeah I would just add that application doesn't have to just be um, to-dos. What can I, how does this passage teach me to do something? A passage can um, change the way we think, the way we feel, the way we relate to God, the way we see ourselves. Um, anytime we're humbled, anytime we're refreshed, anytime we um, reaffirm promises and believe them more deeply, um, that is an application of the scripture. So we're definitely not after simply the relaying of information. Um, uh, yeah, we're after, we're after people to have a meeting with God through his living word whereby they're changed and they more firmly, more tightly cling to him. Um, and so that, that may sometimes result in um, going away and doing something 
uh, oftentimes in scripture, even the application seems to be um, change this thinking, change this feeling, change this perspective. So we're trying to, as much as we can, tether um, our direction and application to the passage itself. Enough about that. You can ask me more about it if you're interested. Church plant. Ron, uh, how and when do we decide to plant another church? Is there a, a, tame, a, a timetable? Is there even a, ta- a timetable for the next one? There's not a timetable for the next one. We don't have a rigid oh, strategy like once every four years it has to take place. It's really a combination of a, of a number of things that come into play. Uh, like you know, we'd have to have someone that is going to step up and plant a church. We don't just want to run a classified ad in the newspaper, so to speak, and say, hey, we're looking for someone to plant a church. We want to fund it. We want to send people out and a core team out. So it'll need you know, at least one person that can lead it and a lot of people to help that guy who's going to pastor it. Uh, the funding needs to be possible. We don't want to send something out to fail. And then uh, this being our second round, we look back at the first round and we say, how can we do things better? Um, should this be a fully funded position, a bivocational? Should we encourage them to rent a place 24-7 or lease a place one day a week? Should they meet in a church or in a storefront? Uh, there are dozens of questions that we end up talking about. Um, but it needs to be something that's a good stewardship of both our people resources, our leadership resources, and our monetary uh, uh, resources. So that's kind of a short answer for that. And wouldn't a big deciding factor be whether we have a guy who's going to be our next planter? Yeah. So sometimes, did you say that? Kind of, yeah. Sorry, I'm sometimes thinking about the next question while you're answering. So good job. So with uh, the planting of Christ Church and the, the loss of uh, two of our pastoral staff, we've, we've hired um, a couple, if not, well, three guys now. But, um, but Tim, tell us why we would go outside of Desert Springs to hire a new staff member. And then from there, just even talk about why we would go outside of Albuquerque or New Mexico for a staff hire. Yeah, okay. So a couple things. I don't, I don't think we're committed necessarily to... But maybe the question states that we just go outside of Desert Springs or we go outside of Albuquerque. In fact, I would say it's actually the opposite. We're, we're constantly looking for those in our midst, those who are part of our family, if you will, for things like staff hires. And yet that often will be the case that that's not readily available. Uh, one of those dynamics would be we don't have a seminary in close proximity to Albuquerque. And so as men are seeking to be trained for vocational ministry, they might not be in our church and in our area. Um, but we do start kind of like concentric circles, almost like gospel work uh, to our Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to most parts of the earth. And so we start with known associations and, and, and people in our midst and then continue to work out from there. So there may be some, some reasons why we would look very specifically in terms of training and experience that's not readily available either in our church or in our area. And then through people we know and connections we know and then the broadest circles of trusted job boards or organizations, seminaries, uh, gospel coalition, where we can put it even to the, the broadest masses to find the, the right and the particular people. I mean, we are 
really particular. We hope you know that, that we don't want just, uh, Ron just alluded to, we don't put a classified ad in the newspaper for our church planter, and we wouldn't want to do that for any staff members. And so it's a process, and, and we work through process to see what the Lord raises up. Uh, I would note that even historically, we have a lot of historic staff members of DSC that are homegrown. So, yeah, Clint, Carlos, Schneeberger, myself, Greg Schneeberger, Schneeberger, you, support staff, a lot Dillard. of support staff, yeah, yeah, a lot of support staff, Paul Costellas. I mean, we really have a lot in the history yeah. of DSC that are, we're actually DSC members, and so certainly we love to, that, and, yeah, and desire that, and yet that's not always readily available, yeah, or fit. And Trent, the newsletter article that you crafted for us. Uh, again, that's out there at the Connection Center. That, that covers a lot of this, doesn't it? Yeah. Uh, there are a number of great questions that could be raised about uh, how, how the search works or what we're thinking or how we go about making you know, the, the decision to invite a, a gentleman to come and take a role or how we're evaluating a candidate or all of this. Uh, we're not a church that does this a whole lot. And when we do it, it's every couple of years and it's it's just easier and there's, the, the year breathes more and, and, and uh, communication just happens more naturally. We've been doing plenty of conversations sort of in the halls and among ministry partners around here. We haven't done a whole lot of formal communication at a, a corporate level. So this little piece is a several page thing, went digitally and it's out there. We'll uh, hopefully answer a lot of questions and feel free to, to hit us with emails if, if there are any gaps, which there may be. Cool, great. All right, let's talk about eldership. Uh, Peter our newest elder. Uh, what's your perspective? We currently have six elders. Is that enough for a church this size? Yeah, interesting question. Um, I don't know if there's a, a perfect answer to that question. Um, there's a certain feel to what's right, uh, I think, in terms of numbers of elders, quality of elders. And um, there's a couple of dynamics that I can think of with regard to eldership and size. Uh, the smaller an eldership group is, uh, the more intimate it is, the more oftentimes united it is, um, and the more easily they have, we have lengthy uh, discussions, uh, working through um, thorny issues, arriving at consensus in a very congenial um, sort of a camaraderie way, uh, and that's a great way to make decisions. As you increase the size of an eldership, I think uh, that dynamic changes a little bit. Uh, you start to take on more of the aspects of a board of directors. Uh, there's not enough time in a meeting. Oftentimes, if you've got 12 to 15 elders, uh, there's not enough time to really hear out everybody's opinions, so you might miss some good thoughts, good opinions, and uh, you might even start voting on issues uh, rather than discussing them just for efficiency's sake. So the bigger you get, you lose quite a bit of intimacy and quite a bit of conversation and discussion. Um, so somewhere in between those two extremes, I think, uh, is a good place to be. For a church of our size, um, I'm thinking maybe six to 10 elders might be ideal. Uh, we're at six right now, but um, that's because we've lost uh, Clint and Nathan, uh, two of our younger elders. And um, you should know that um, our eldership is always looking for men uh, that fit the pattern of biblical qualifications and who uh, express to us a desire uh, to be called to this office, uh, to observe with the elders, to candidate, uh, and then if that all goes well, then to be invited under the board. That's the process. So um, it's something that we're always mindful of, looking for. Um, and other than that, I don't think there's any one formula 
that can really be applied to that question. Yeah, and we have, we just announced on Sunday, we have two candidates now. Right. Um, and, uh, and it's always good to know, it's always good for the church to know, and they wouldn't know unless we tell them that, I mean, multiple times a year, um, it comes up in a meeting where we say, all right, who are we watching? Who do you got? Who do we put on a short list? Um, we're, we're talking about prospective guys. Uh, I can think of one guy whose name has come up a lot and he's said, um, now is not the right time. Give me another year, year and a half or, or so. Um, and then that would be, it would be better for me. So we, we, we're definitely not capping um, the number of elders that we have at this point. We had up to nine uh, in the last year and uh, now down to six, but we have two elder candidates. So anything to add to that, any of you guys? If we haven't said it already, and you all mm -hmm. would recognize him and know him, we're missing Ken as Ken is out of town. Yes. Did we hit that earlier? Okay. We didn't. Yeah, Thank so we're, we're minus one. Ken is uh, a pilot for, what is it, Delta? So he's often in the air. He often emails us from China. He sends me pictures of China out his, out his uh, hotel window, and uh, he's very productive on the road. Sometimes that takes him away during a night like this, and Ken would sure want to be here. We are just emailing earlier today, and he was praying for, praying for our time. So we're, what, five up here? We're actually six deep right now. Yeah. Um, Tim Bradley, <coughs> elder, the word elder seems to imply experience, if not age. Do you think our eldership is too young? Can I say no? And just move on? Sure. No. <laughs> yeah, no. So, so I definitely get that. And, and I, I think there, I think, it, I guess I would say it's probably both and. In other words, I, I understand even from scriptures as First Peter tells the younger to be submissive to the elders, that there's the idea of age, experience, uh, qualifications of elders would say, not a recent convert and of somebody who has a proven record, not only in their family, uh, but even with outsiders, those even outside the church. So experience is an important part of that. And yet, I wouldn't say that it's only older people. So for example, in the qualification for an elder, it says one who's managing his, or his household well and his children are in submission to him or under his authority. So that actually presumes that there are children in the home. This wouldn't likely be talking about children who are fully grown and married and, and having their own children. And so I think it can be both and. And so we're actually really comfortable with those who have the character that the scriptures uh, call us to, and competencies, <coughs> record, uh, but they can be young men as well as old men and everything in between. So, yeah, so I, I think we're representative. Uh, Trent's probably the youngest on our elder board. Uh, the rest of us. We got were, rid of two young ones, we did. and we, we got an older out. one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we just bumped up the average a whole lot in the last year. We don't even need to answer this question. question. Yeah. 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 That's good. Yeah, it's important, I think, um, for the church to know that um, we're not limited to a certain demographic or demographic goal. Um, we want godly men 
who are able to lead the church well and who have proven themselves. So I think it would be a, a bit of a shame if we said, eh, we can't add another young guy or young-ish guy and then we have men who are really qualified and able and basically are shepherding um, in an unofficial capacity in our church to be overlooked or passed by. Um, so we do want to sort of be aware of the demographic and the makeup and diversity is good, whether that's um, paid and unpaid or uh, older and not so older. Um, but yeah, we don't want to turn down good guys who are staring right at us because uh, we have some sort of goal for uh, a ratio or um, a, an age average to hit. Yeah, e even as an illustration, uh, so it's, it's descriptive in one sense and maybe prescriptive in a, another sense. So as Paul lays out for Timothy the qualifications of elders, in chapter four, he actually addresses Timothy very specifically about his own leadership in the church and, and exhorts him to not let them look down on him because he's younger, but instead set an example for them in speech and life and love and in faith and in purity. So it's, it's prescriptive in that. Speech, life, love, faith, and purity. Set an example, lead, model, and yet maybe descriptive in him as an example of somebody who is younger, younger-ish, you know, right. not a teenager, maybe not even in his 20s, maybe even in his early 30s, but right. uh, younger. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, Jesus apparently started his earthly ministry at the age of 30, and he had all kinds of um, complaints and, uh, you know, things thrown at him, um, challenges um, by those who opposed him, and, and no one said, but you're too young. So that's interesting. I have all these in my back pocket because I started pastoring here at 28. <laughs> at 28, so uh, yeah, I had to sort of, I was glad to get over the 30 hill and then a little bit even more glad to be over 40. Um, I'll just add this. Imagine a church, and you can, maybe you've been at a church, I've been at a few where the, the senior leadership, call it the eldership, is of, a, of, a, of an older demographic. And often those churches actually struggle to deal with a generational transition. I know of whole churches that make it their whole effort to pass on the baton to the next generation. How good is it that that's just always in motion? There's just always baton passing happening. There's a culture of it. We don't wake up one day and say, we're a 50s and up church, a 60s and up church, and our, our elders are all 65 and up. I'm aware of situations like that where they try to guard the eldership from youth, and um, I'm not, not sure it's healthy. I'm blessed to be on the team. I wouldn't want to be on a team with a bunch of 35-year-olds. Uh, but I think that the diversity reflected here is healthy. Yeah, good word. Well, let's transition to something fun. Ron, why did we paint or restucco only half of the building? <laughs> I want to know how many people knew or recognized that. So, so like, raise your hand if you said, oh, it's half, but not the other half. But many people did notice. Um, let me talk about the the color scheme first, and then I'll talk about the real reason for doing it, which was not colors. Um, we shoot for a more, sometimes we'll use the word classic for colors, so you'll see a lot of grays inside and outside. Uh, we do that for a reason, uh, for a couple reasons actually, but one of them is we think it won't go out of style. So eight, nine, ten years down the road, if we use, say, some shade of green or dark red on the outside or inside, we don't want to say, oh man, that looked great in 2016, it looks horrible now. 
So you may know what it's like to paint a room at home, you painted a shade of green that you think it was great, and three years later, I hate this. Let's, let's spend the money and the energy to repaint it. Well, one room in your house is easy. A whole church can be thousands and thousands of dollars. So uh, the color scheme is intentional. The real reason for the exterior was that the stucco was being cracked, <coughs> meaning hundreds of hairline cracks and some that were larger. And so we don't want years down the road to have to restucco the whole building. That would be a huge expense. So we hire this material called Elastomeric to get put up with some areas, some acrylic on top of that. Uh, and our hope is that, and we trust this will happen, that as we go through the next few winters where we know it stays in the low 30s and it can freeze, melt, freeze, melt, those cracks won't get bigger and we'll be stuck with a big bill a couple years down the road. So it was to take care of cracks, use the opportunity to change colors. Um, my plan is come back in later this fall and do the, what will be the west and the north sides, the less visible sides, uh, with that same kind of coating. Only reason for not doing it all at once is that we're sending up this church plant. Uh, what we have Gail do, our finance administrator, is take the adults and come up with how much they gave collectively in 2015. I think most of you know this, but none of us elders look at anything <laughs> that any of you give. Like, I have no idea and don't want to know how much anyone gives here at DSA. That's always been our policy. Uh, but our finance administrator has to, you know, look at checks and post them and give you guys your contribution statements. Um, so I'm sure she tries her best not to remember, you know, what any particular face or family gives or doesn't give. She tries to be <laughs> as objective as she can about her job. But we'll have her come up with a total so we know that the group we sent out was between 130 and 145,000 per year in giving. So what, one thing I've got to do is track that. We're almost two months into it now. And in another month or two, I can say, and it looks like we're on track for that, that we're going to be fine. We're not going to be in the red in this new fiscal year we're about to enter. And so as long as you don't see bulletins that say we're estimating 31,000 this week and we got 25, and last week we got 28, and the week before we got 29, so we're always short, then we'll come back and do the rest of the building. But both Gail and I tend to be more conservative. We want to kind of wait. We probably waited a couple years on doing the outside exterior. It should have been done probably a few years ago. But that's to make sure we've got this buffer, this cushion. So if there's ever an emergency or something odd happens, um, we have to close the building because of a flood or some electrical shortage that's caused a mini fire or something for a week or two, we, that if giving goes down for a couple weeks, uh, there's no problem because we don't, um, what's it called when you run a family and you're like living from check to check? We don't want to live from Sunday to Sunday, is the point. Um, so we always have this buffer in our operating checking account, and um, if giving were to go down a little bit this fall because of the group we sent out, I don't want to spend, you know, 10000 here, 5000 there, 8000 here, and all of a sudden Gail is saying, we don't have the buffer anymore because you approved some facility projects and our giving for a while is going to be down before we bump back up because of the church plant. It doesn't look like that's going to happen, and I don't think it will happen, Absolutely. but probably much longer of an answer than what you wanted about the, the colors on the outside. <laughs> I was just glad I heard the word fall in there, this fall. Yeah, I heard that, right? Yeah. You guys heard yeah. it. Okay. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. One, one uh, version of our answer was, well, this is something that we believe that many buildings and, and businesses will be doing. It's a trend. 
Another one of our answers was that we polled people and some said keep the old colors, some said get new colors, and so we did half and I half. Please them both. Oh. Yeah. Ron, uh, just talk to us about uh, our approach to renovations and improvements in general. Um, can you give us a, a, just a few sentences on sort of our philosophy on that when people see new things being done? What's the thinking behind it? Yeah, I'll, well, I'll try to keep this brief. There are actually five, six, seven, eight dynamics that go into any renovation that you see, or at least a couple of those come into play. And so I don't want to go through all five, six, seven of them, but I'll let you know one or two of them to give you an example. Um, sometimes you'll see something that gets done in the building and you might think, I don't think we had anybody write this in, but you might think, oh, that looks a little bit too much compared to what I think we can afford as a church, or that was maybe a little bit too nice to quit for our church. Um, so please always feel free to ask me, come by the office, catch me on Sunday, email me, um, and ask, you know, I'm not sure why we did that, but can you just help me understand the rationale behind that improvement? Um, what'll often happen is that we have people, meaning the faces I'm looking at right now, uh, that run businesses, and they'll come and donate either materials, labor, both, or some kind of big discount. Uh, and so to give you just a couple examples, I could probably list off a dozen. Uh, we've got three guys that run landscaping companies in our church, um, a guy that runs a security company, a locksmith, printing company, and I could go on and on and on. Uh, so sometimes we'll get services that people want to give as part of their giving to the church and to the Lord, and we're not going to take them up on that if that's going to make something look real odd, like somebody said, hey, I would like to see this particular, you know, statue in the middle of our foyer. Well, no, we're not going to do a statue, even if you pay for all of it. Uh, but if they say, I'll help with, you know, this particular project because it looks like walls need to be painted in the children's wing, um, then we'll take them up on it because we thought they needed it for a couple of years or whatever. So sometimes things are donated. I'll mention one other of these seven or eight or nine dynamics. Sometimes we'll spend money to save money. And I know that's a dangerous thing to get into. Uh, we see advertising do that all the time, right? Like, buy our double-paned windows for your whole house. Why? Because you'll save 30000 over the next 20 years in, in heating costs or AC costs. Um, so that can be a risky thing, but there are legitimate ways in which you can spend money to save money. Uh, I'll give you one example, and, and I could give you 10, but I'll give you one example and then just end there so it's not a long speech. Uh, we had PNM come up to Ian a few weeks ago and say, we're running a rebate program. If you will let us install LED lights in your outside parking lighting area, then instead of the usual cost, which is $8,000, we'll charge you $4,000 for that. Now, $4,000 is still a chunk of change, so we don't say yes right away. I still haven't said yes, but I'm leaning toward doing that. And the reason is that LED lights are going to stay there for years and years and years. And even in the first year, we'll, we'll begin to see some real savings. Uh, there's not a year that goes by and without some of you emailing me saying, hey, did you know, I drove past at night, did you know three of your parking lights are out? Oh, yeah, I knew one was out, but I didn't know the other two were out. I have to have Ian get the bucket truck, replace the bulb. They're expensive bulbs. You've got to pay for the labor. And if you know anything about LED lighting, we're actually slowly in the stage of doing that in the worship center here. We just can't do it all at once. Um, it's a very legitimate way of saving money long term. Um, so 
that's maybe a long way of saying those are two examples of a bunch of dynamics we, we think about when we do upgrades or renovations. Anytime you've got a question, ask me. We've always got an open books policy. If you want to say, hey, how much did this cost? What venue did you use? I'll say, come by the office. It's all open books. I would never say, sorry, that's confidential. I don't want you to know how expensive that was. I'm not going to tell you. We'll tell you exactly what it was. Well, this is supposed to be the time that we transition. It will be the time we transition to uh, Trent being down on the floor with the microphone. This time always goes, so, goes by so quickly um, in the first half. And so there are a lot of questions we didn't get to, um, but we wanted to do good on that. Again, let me restate that uh, if you would really like to talk about um, extraterrestrial beings, that was one question. Um, there you go. Appreciate that. It was on the list. Um, but we didn't get to it. There are other things like that. We'd love to, we'd love to chat with you. Trent, why don't you take it over All right, from here. so ministry philosophy, DSC history, future, the hiring thing we're going through, uh, whatever you would have a question about, theology, Christian life stuff, things you hear in sermons that you'd like a clarification on, all that's legit. If you would, I'll bring the mic to you. I might keep my hand on it. I might give it to you. <laughs> keep it to a question and not a story. That'll help us. And then also make sure you give us your name and stand, all right? I got Paul over here. Hello. Paul, you don't need to stand. No, I'm just, just joking. <laughs> we can see you. All right. There you go. Uh, actually, uh, can you hear me okay? Yeah. Okay. Actually, uh, one of the things that I was wondering about, and you all brought it up tonight in terms of elder qualifications, and uh, I guess when I grew up in the Methodist church, when we saw people come out of seminary to go on staff, it was just automatically assumed they were elders. And I guess my question to you is, we have three new staffers coming up, but it's the board of elders that helps select the newer elders. So is there any guarantee, I, I, maybe that's the wrong word, but do these guys automatically become elders then? So, so Paul, I'll take a first crack at that. Um, it's no, it's no guarantee. Uh, so just to give you an example, when we hired Nathan, we hoped he would become an elder. We knew he had aspirations for church planting. We desired that through the interview process. We're obviously looking for elder qualified men in terms of character and, and competence and, and leadership. Um, but, but it is no guarantee that there'll be an elder. We have a pretty rigorous process for becoming an elder. And the men that we've hired, Tom, we're getting to know, and the other two we'll get to know in time. It, it is our desire that they would be elders, uh, and they have been qualified in a lot of ways, even through an interview process and a hiring process. Uh, but they will still go through an, an eldership process in time, if that's right for both them and the church. But it's no certain and sure guarantee. We're optimistic, though. Yep. Yeah. Could you comment on the um, financial support for the two church plants, um, the transition period, and the expectations during that transition period? Wow. Uh, I'll start, but as I'm talking, if other guys can think of things to add, that'll be, that'll be helpful to me. So there's a financial piece and a non-financial piece that you're asking about, both of which are important. Uh, we feel really great about the core team that went with them. 
If anything, we joke about them taking too many leaders and, and good people. Um, but we, we don't have any regrets about that at all. Uh, one thing we thought was real helpful, and so did Nathan and Clint, was to come up with an MOU, a Memorandum of Understanding. So, uh, and very, actually a very little bit of that is financial. Most of that is non-financial. So that basically says, here are the expectations from both parties. Here's where we want to come together for unity. And here's what we think will help both DSC and Christ Church. So to give you one example among literally dozens, uh, I think we've actually spelled out, and this was, I think, Clint's request, that, and I'll just have to make up the frequency here, that maybe once every other month, one of those guys joins our elder meetings for the next, say, two years. So that, you might think, well, you don't have to put that in print. Let's just be organic and let that kind of flow naturally, but it's good to have it in print. Kind of reminds them, and they put it on some kind of electronic reminder system, oh, I gotta make sure to do it this month. Because if I get busy doing ministry, six months could go by and we're not having that face-to-face -face time with Ryan and Tim and Ron and Trent and Peter and Ken uh, like we really want to have happen. So there are dozens of things we've written up that are now part of a plan that is now underway. Uh, it's in its first stages. On the financial part, uh, they, did a, they did, both did a great job of doing fundraising outside of DSC. So... Uh, I call it their money from Texas, but it's much more than just the state of Texas. Um, it's because Nathan is from Texas, so he went to some larger churches there, and you guys know that's kind of the land of the mega church and, and Southern Baptist Church, you know, big church area. But they've combined maybe four or five different branches for funding, us as a church just being one of them. So uh, we'll actually do less funding of Christ Church, even though it's bigger and would apparently have more needs, two full-time staff guys instead of one for one of them, we'll do less funding as a church, DSC, than we did for Redemption Church because they're drawing from different um, avenues of support. So um, that's written up in the Memorandum of Understanding too, uh, but again, it's much less than it was for Redemption. So what, pitching if I'm... Well, and more people going to... means more givers going, presumably. Right. So yeah. that also helps with the support as well. Yeah. There's a maximum amount of dollars that's been budgeted to support them. Uh, so that support will never exceed that maximum. But it may very well be a lot less than that. As Christchurch grows uh, and their income grows, they may decide that um, the full amount of the subsidy that was originally available may no longer be necessary. And I think that's desirable because as they gain more financial independence, they'll also gain more leadership independence. Um, and I think uh, both parties would see that as desirable. Yeah. yeah, so Ron, you mentioned the uh, budget and about 140000 a year that uh, went with Christchurch. Uh, how does it look from the church planting budget side? And um, I guess, what, what do you see for that in the future? Tell me a little bit more what you mean by the church planting budget side. So in the, in the bulletin, there's the two line items, right? There's the general fund oh. and the church planting fund. So over the last couple months, um, that number has, has gone down. Um, and so just what, what are your thoughts for the budget for next year and how does it look um, sustainability yeah, yeah. I see. Yeah. Good question. I'll try. I might even go a little bit beyond or a field of, of what you're asking, but I think I'll hit it. Uh, so because we've sent out this 130 dollars to $145,000 a year giving along with the seventy-five. 
Part of that was church planting or SNAP giving. I think we estimated between maybe eight and 14,000 or so that went out for SNAP giving from our church. So you will see in our bulletin a little bit of a decrease when you look at that church planting line. So here's one way of a couple that that's going to be accounted for. Um, what Christ Church will do on their end is they're going to give, they're not going to do a separate thing like we've done. They're not going to do church planting giving, do that on top of your general giving to Christ Church. They're going to encourage their congregation to give everything, I guess, to Christ Church. Then they'll do a percentage. I want to say it's 5%, but as you guys see, Clint or Nathan, you could easily ask them. Um, so let's say that 5% of their giving is going to go to SNAP. Um, we'll, in fact, we talked about this today, Clint and I in the office. We'll do numbers on what that is, and then uh, let's pretend that that's 7000 a year. I don't know that it'll come out exactly equal to the 8 to 14 that went out. It won't. Um, but we're certainly committed to not decreasing any of the support we've got for the two families. They're, they're at full support. We've supported them fully. If we come up, say, 5000 short, um, because of this change in 5% from Christchurch, instead of saying, oh, give the same amount you give at DSC to SNAP here at Christchurch, then our missions budget would easily absorb that. Um, the missions budget traditionally at DSC has been, and it's always been, I think, 10% of the general giving. So when you look at the budget, if we've got a you know, $1.65 million overall budget, which we do, then 165000 is our budgeted stuff for missions. Not the two families in North Africa, that's above and on top of that, which is great because it means as a church we're giving more like 25% or more to, to missions. But that 165000 to missions is, not, is never completely spent. Let's say it's 90% spent. So every month checks go out to Barreras because there are missionaries that we support. Every month checks go out to 20 other ministries or missionaries but not 100%. So there's easily that kind of, I don't know what you'd call it, leeway that we've got, so that if we're five, even 10,000 short for our two families in North Africa, uh, I would just say that's our, that's our cushion, that's our buffer, that's our 10% that we don't spend in missions, that's what it's gotta go to. Um, so maybe I'll stop there, but um, you're right, you, you will see a little bit go down in the snap giving or the church planting giving in our bulletins. Uh, we know about that, we're working with it, and Christchurch is doing their part, um, as well as other, other ministries, since it's more than just us in Christchurch, although we'll be the main ones, I think. Okay, can, Leon. Can, can I just add, Trent? Oh, okay. Let me, let me just add real quick. I, I would just put an exclamation point on what Ron said in summary and say, uh, we're committed to the mission fully, and so we're going to work very hard to do that. And yet with any new venture, Christchurch going out, uh, dips are expected and, and we're looking to make sure. And we love our teams on the field and, and value them and, and we'll work hard to ensure that that's supportive. We'll, we'll even, we've done this in the past. We've adjusted other ministries to, to make sure what's mission critical what remains mission critical. And, and we're hoping with the new missions minister, that, you know, that, some new leadership in that area as well and, and going forward in a good way. Thanks, Jeff. So I have uh, two questions. Um, first one is, is uh, a lot of churches do kind of a meet and greet during the service um, in between kind of the worship and the sermon. Um, is there a reason why you guys don't do that here? 
I'll take that. Uh, yeah, we, we often do it at the end of the service, at the very end, as we say, as you're leaving today, greet, <laughs> greet someone around you, get a name that you don't have, and uh, meet someone new. Uh, we would like the service itself to just remain vertical in its orientation. Um, if we were to do a greeting time, I would suggest we do it earlier in the service, um, not in the middle. Um, you know, we're, we're trying to sort of sustain our Godward focus. Uh, and it's not that people aren't a part of that, but in a more periphery sort of way, we acknowledge each other as being worshipers of God. Uh, we, so we're supposed to look around the room. We're supposed to realize that we're not doing this alone. Uh, you know, we're supposed to think about lives and relationships and burdens and trials and joys that the people around us are going through. Um, but I think all that has a more vertical focus in our worship than a, a, a meet and greet. So we want to, again, that would be a way in which we're wanting to promote warmness and friendliness. Um, and yet where it rubs up against something of a vertical Godward priority, we'd want to protect that as much as we can. And, and so we could probably do better about uh, more often than we do ending the service by saying, why don't you greet someone around you. A benefit for doing it at the end is that it can lead to conversation. Um, we've noticed that before too, that a meet and greet in the middle, you shake four or five hands, that's it. Um, you probably didn't even introduce yourself to someone you didn't know, at least that's my experience. When I'm around one of those, I, I, I shake hands and don't introduce myself or, or get a name. Um, but after the service, you're free for the next indefinite amount of time almost to, you know, go get coffee or, you know, have someone over for lunch or whatever. My second question is, is um, we're coming up on a really big anniversary of the Reformation and a lot of churches are kind of planning around their sermons and topics around that. And then also a lot of conversations, at least in my personal life and what I've seen on kind of social media has been starting to get very heavily on, you know, the Reformation and kind of the topics that come out of that. Um, are you guys planning on doing you know, sorry if I don't ask this right, but of, you know, sermons that are more on, you know, Reformed theology, um, or, is, or are you not? We are planning on a whole conference. <laughs> Romans and the Reformation. Yeah, that's, Just for that's, one, of the, that's one of the benefits of having a, a conference like we do, is we can plan for special times of teaching that are uh, intensive and do something that Sunday morning sermon, sermons don't. So, no, we won't do anything other than book studies. Um, our, our next study will probably be in the book of Acts. Um, but for our Claris conference at the end of February, we'll, we'll be in the book of Romans and also be thinking about the Reformation. Um, it'll be a good time to do that. Hi, uh, Lynn Connor here. I've been at the church for several years. Um, just wondered if DSC has ever considered or talked about or had some type of adult single ministry for not, I'm not just talking divorced people, anything like that, or dating or anything like that. It's just widows, widowers, single people, never been married people, divorced people, some type of support ministry, anything like that. Ron, you probably get that question the most, don't you? Yeah, it's, it's hard. Um, you guys will know that we, we don't do a lot of niche ministry. We obviously do some. You know, we've got a youth group, 
we've got women's ministry, we've got men's ministries. Uh, we don't do a, a wide range of niche ministries, and you'll notice already, Lynn, because we do community groups and want to see people make that a priority. So the community group um, I was in for, I think, five, six years. Um, my wife and I recently are helping to start a new one. Um, had, to give you an example, five singles in it, along with probably six or seven married couples. And that was great. And the married couples were old and young. I mean, we were 20 years older than many of the, of the couples. And um, it was just neat to have that mix. Now, if there was one single coming, I could understand how he or she would feel a little out of place. Well, I'm one single person, and here's all these married couples. So we had a great ideal situation in which there were, again, five or six uh, men and women. And like you said, they weren't there to date or to find potential you know, marriage partners, husbands or wives. Um, we were there as Christians seeking the Lord's face and, and having a wonderful time together. So we're hoping that in community groups there will be those clusters of singles. Because, again, I could understand if someone comes and they're the only single person. So we don't see a formal ministry starting. We'd say the same thing with like a senior saints ministry or, or just a number of other, uh, other kind of niche group ministries. Uh, I remember when Tim's brother here was year, years ago, Lee. Um, Lee wanted to do something, and we actually said, it's totally fine for you to start, say, a Bible study or a get-together at your home, um, do a barbecue, have some Bible studies. Um, we just won't do it as a church ministry, but if you see a need and we can help you with that, then go for it. So if there's some grassroots stuff where you guys would like some help, but it won't be something necessarily you'll see in a bulletin or something that we promote, um, we're not opposed to that kind of, a, kind of a thing happening. As long as, again, people make that priority of community groups and Lord's Supper services and things like that. So even with women going to women's Bible studies uh, that are married and not single, we'd say the same thing to them. We'd say, don't make this your first priority after Sunday morning and Lord's Supper services. Make community group with your husband that first priority, and then if you've got time, do a women's Bible study. Say the same thing to guys going to men's huddles. You know, don't make that your primary thing that's number three on your list after Sunday morning, Lord's Supper, now I hang out with other guys. Go with your wife to something. So, don't know if that really answered your question, and it may not you know, be the, the, the kind of thing many people are looking for, but that's where we are right now. Just to add, my brother Lee will be here, scheduled to be here at the airport at 11 o'clock tonight with his bride, and I'll be down there picking them up, and they'll be here for 10 days. So. My question, I'm, I'm new, uh, so my question may be out of ignorance, but um, how long a period of time between someone making a profession of faith and you getting them wet? <laughs> this is Lynn. Yeah. I'll start that. Um, not a set period of time, so... We, we don't have, you know, a prescriptive amount of time. So as it regards baptism, we ascribe to believers' baptism, so credible profession of faith. And, and so we want to explore that. We have a, a process that we, we work through here at the church where there's a three-week class that run ordinarily organizes and, and leads uh, some teaching on baptism to ensure that there's clear thinking on both conversion, uh, clarity of the gospel, and what baptism is and is not. And, and so we want to help uh, those who aspire for or desire baptism 
uh, through this process. Do we do a Wednesday night event for baptism? When is it? When do you baptize? So, so baptism presently is, is twice a year. Um, our upcoming service is October 9th. Yeah, a Sunday morning. Sunday morning uh, during both services and ordinarily, depending on the number of candidates, we'll just divide them in half and half will be in the nine o'clock service and half will be in the 1045 service, but as part of the corporate gathering. Yeah, so I'll answer that. Um, it seems in Scripture there's an invitation you can re to in public. the question real quick. Sorry? He didn't have a mic, so just restate the question. The question is why, not, why don't we have an altar call on Sunday morning? So I grew up in a church that did that. Um, I find in the New Testament there's a call to believe, to repent and believe, um, that isn't always geographical. So I don't see in Scripture any place where it says come forward Here's where decisions are made. Uh, I grew up hearing about, you know, come to the old-fashioned altar. Uh, we don't think that this is an altar, though. We think it's just a platform for, you know, practical purposes. So I think in some churches where that is emphasized, I think, um, I think baptism can get downplayed because the time where you go public about your faith is this altar call rather than baptism, which is um, what we see in the New Testament. That seems like that's the place where um, people go public with their faith. Um, we also want to be able to talk to people in a less microwaved kind of fashion, at least in the church I grew up in. You'd come forward, you'd, you'd talk to someone, you're very quickly praying a prayer, very quickly getting assurance, um, very quickly scheduling your baptism. Um, we want to just sit down and talk. We want to make sure they understand what this is all about. Uh, we don't believe, um, you know, just because someone says certain words of a prayer or repeats after someone who's leading a prayer um, that they're saved and they understand what they're saying. So it, people can get saved in churches, and they do get saved in churches all over this country, all over the world where, where an altar call is done. Um, we would prefer to have a conversation um, to talk about this in a, in a less microwave sort of way. Um, and feel more confident about their decision for Christ. So that's why we, at the end of the service, um, almost every Sunday say, there are leaders up front, they wanna to talk to you, they're here to pray with you. If, you. if you don't know Christ, please come talk to someone today. Um, in some ways, that gives us more time. Again, sort of like the, the handshakes at the end of the service rather than in the middle of the service. If it's at the end of the service, um, it can go on for as long as it needs to go on. Um, if it's part of the service and uh, it has to happen during, you know, the, um, the last song, uh, at least again in the church I grew up in, um, all the decisions were made before that last song was done so they could present those decisions to the congregation afterwards. So that seems like an unnecessary rush to things. Um, that was a um, helpful explanation by Peter on the number of uh, Elders, you don't want too many elders because then you're reduced to just voting on issues. Um, Hebrews 13, a passage that should frighten every elder. Obey your leaders and submit to them. They keep careful watch over your, over your souls. So uh, we, we, I'm, I'm assuming, though, that the 
the six elders. We've got two good men in the pipeline now, which I'm very thankful for. Uh, how I'm assuming that because we have six elders and what is it, 400 plus members? Is that what we have right now? That the more. Five, 550, 570, something like that. 550? Okay, 550. That's even a bigger number. So, um, you know, how does, I'm assuming that the six elders are, are really depending on the community group leaders for shepherding, yet it's these elders. You, I mean, uh, Tim and Scott are going to be in the pipeline for a year, thoroughly vetted before they're, they are recognized as elders. And so if we're depending upon community group leaders to, to really watch carefully over the souls of people, how does that work? I mean, certainly they're not, they're not vetted in the same way. You, get, you understand my question? It, se it seems like it'd be better to have even a greater number of elders, greater number of shepherds who could keep careful, careful watch over the souls of the flock. Yeah, so I'll, I'll start, Randy. So while there are an explicit passage in, in Hebrews 13 for elders, there is also a mutuality of us keeping watch over one another as members of the body. And so it's an explicit responsibility for an elder and yet also a responsibility for every member within the church to keep watch over one another and guard one another. And then as it works down to community group leaders, they are working with us in a more formal sense than the organic keeping watch over one another that we're all invested in, in a more formal sense to, to lead, shepherd, watch out for one another. But as, as you alluded to, it's watch out with great care for these souls. And so part of that watching out is not just looking to get elders in place. Part of that is actually expressed and lived out, at least from my perspective, in carefully bringing qualified men into the eldership. And I think Ryan mentioned earlier, we have formal occasions where it's on our agenda to say, let's brainstorm, who are our men? Who are the guys we're watching? Who are the community group leaders who are doing this? Uh, Scott and Tim are, are good examples of that. Uh, we're always looking for elders and desiring elders, and yet part of the watching is to not just get elders in place, but to have a, a, a careful process for getting the right men in place who will bear that formal responsibility or stewardship that you alluded to from Hebrews 13. So I would start there, but maybe you guys have some other thoughts. I would add, Brandy, <clears throat> that one of the primary functions of an elder we see in Ephesians 4.12, where we're to be equipping the church for the works of ministry. So shepherding is not just an elder responsibility, it's a, an every person responsibility. And that's done in a series of layers. So if we take our responsibility uh, seriously and we're shepherding and teaching and building our community group leaders who are passing that uh, depth of uh, experience and knowledge into the life of their small groups, we're seeing an expanding number of shepherds within the life of the church. And so if we properly see our job as both equipping and shepherding, 
there's a balance between the two, or even a tension between the two, perhaps. If we focused all on just getting out and doing all the visitation ourselves and not enough in the equipping, building and training, uh, then we would have a very shallow church, and we don't want that. We want a deep church where the elders' ministry is uh, growing and ministering through uh, different levels. And so if, you, if you've got the right folks um, leading that charge, then you've got a very effective depth of ministry in terms of developing more shepherding um, and more caregiving within the body itself. So I think that's our aim. It's always a very difficult target to uh, manage that balance, I think, but that's what we aim for. Thanks so much for being here tonight. Just a word of thanks to you for bringing us your questions. Um, and I would say we, we, ha we have to discipline ourselves. We remind ourselves in the meeting before this and immediately before this that we don't say things like, after every question we answer, anyone else can say something. We all know, each of us, that we would have more to pile on. So even as we're answering, we know that, that some of our answers are raising questions. We're okay with that. This is meant to be abbreviated. We get through more questions if we just move on. But that's to remind you that the door's open. All of us, are, our emails are available to you and we can do coffee, meet in the office, take an email or a call and um, football's yours though on that. So we'll uh, make, make every effort to be among you and to be in community groups and all this. But as there's something acute on your mind that is troubling you or that you would just be helped in your Christian life and in your membership in our body for having an answer for, um, or if you think that we would be helped for your perspective on something, please uh, take us up on it. Lots of you do. So just a reminder, um, for a more thorough uh, take on uh, our process of hiring these and finding these, these three men that are coming on the next months, we'd encourage all of you to read the e-newsletter or the thing we've printed. It's the same doc out at the Connection Center. That'll just help our church uh, be unified here, and it might raise some good questions that we can clarify for you further. So with this, uh, let's uh, have Peter Arndt uh, close us in prayer and then we'll send you all home. It's eight o'clock. Mm. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful to be uh, in your church. We're so grateful for the body of Christ at Desert Springs. Uh, Lord, you've blessed us greatly and uh, we're so appreciative of uh, the relationship uh, that the people have with the elders and vice versa. Thank you for the healthy uh, relationships that exist between us. Uh, thank you for the privilege of being this place uh, at this time in the history of the world. Lord, we live in a troubled world and uh, we're ambassadors for you. We pray, Lord, that you would equip us uh, to represent you well, uh, to take your gospel, to spread it broader and deeper through worship, community, and mission. And we pray, Lord, that you would energize us and equip us to do that very thing and to do it well in your power and in your name. Amen. Amen. You all have a wonderful night. <clears throat>